if you're here this morning, you'll remember that I was trying to remember exactly when it was that, that Pete left us. It was 2010, he tells me this evening, which I thought I'd better check this time around. So 2010, when Pete, obviously then it was just Pete Ward that went because we didn't know, well, Pete didn't know Kira, so, <laughs> so it was obviously just Pete and he went and worked over in South Africa and we've been supporting him and sort of following his journey ever since. So it's great to have you back. Welcome, officially. Um, Pete and Kira are going to update us on both of the activities, both of the, the work that they're involved with. They're um, mission partners of, of us here at the church. When they've finished speaking, we'll just have a, a short time of prayer as well, just to uphold them. Um, but obviously you can be assured of our prayers on an ongoing basis uh, when you're over there. Thank you. I think we're going to actually talk from over here because one of us is um, vertically challenged, and so talking behind a big um, stand over there is going to be a challenge for one of us. I won't say whom. Um, um, so uh, good evening. Um, as many of you know, my name is Pete, and as Graham just said, I was part of this church for many years and then went to South Africa in 2010. And uh, we just want to start off by thanking you for this opportunity just to share a little bit of our story uh, with you this evening. Um, so Kira, uh, actually, do you want to come up? Um, so um, for some of you, obviously, you don't, you've never even met Kira, um, because um, the last time I stood on this stage uh, was about three and a half years ago, and at that time, Kira had just gone back to South Africa. So this is my wife, Kira. Um, <laughs> um, and um, we've been married for almost four years now. And uh, we live in a town called Amamsam Toti, which means sweet waters in Zulu. Um, I think you'll see it on the slide, uh, the, the, um, the map will come up. And this is about 20 minutes uh, south of Durban on the east coast of South Africa. Uh, Kira leads an organization called the Seed of Hope, and I'm a full-time volunteer at Oasis Church, um, and my role is to oversee all the young people's ministries. Um, I also became an elder in the church uh, a few months ago. Uh, so Kira and I, this evening, we're going to be sort of tag-teaming this talk. Uh, she's going to share a little bit about Seed of Hope, and then I'm going to share a little bit about, Oa about Oasis. Um, but before we do that, we'd just like you just to look at the screen, because there's going to be a short video about Seed of Hope. Thank you. 
Yeah, so I work at Seed of Hope, which is a community development center, and I love working there. And I've, we've actually been, I've been based there for um, almost four years now. Um, so quite soon after Peter and I got married and moved to Manson Toti, I ended up working at Seed of Hope. As you can see in the video I've just shown you, a lot of the smiley faces that came up on the screen are, are actually members of our staff. And we have a staff team of 25, of which 85% of them actually come from the local rural communities that we work within. And they've actually been empowered over the years through our programs to take ownership of the programs we, want, we run and actually be able to facilitate and manage them. So Seed of Hope has been based in the rural disadvantaged community called Bekuwandle for the last 14 years. And we have now been able to build up to the point where we have over a 1,000 community members that are impacted through our programs on a monthly basis. If we could just have the next slide, please. Our deep desire at Seed of Hope is to see the rural communities that we work within thriving and fulfilling all that God has called them to be. And this is our vision house um, to just explain a bit more about who we are. And you can see the roof just explains, well, just shows that it's a thriving community. And we feel that our role in building thriving communities um, rests on these three key pillars of um, healthy, stable families. We want to see everyone being able to have a sustainable livelihood, which is a critical thing in a country like South Africa, where the youth unemployment rate is currently 73%. So that's people between the age of 16 and 30, 35. And then lastly is servant leaders. We want to see communities where everyone feels empowered and takes responsibility for their personal role in the development of their community. At Seed of Hope, we offer a range of programs that help us do this. We have children and youth development programs focusing on children from, from preschool age all the way to the end of high school, helping them with after-school academic support, character building and life skills. And for the older ones, we do a leadership training when they're in high school. And in the last year of high school, we do a preparation for the daunting transition from high school to the world of work. And over our journey over the last 14 years, we've realized that this is a really critical point in a young adult's life because our local high school's final year pass rate is only 31%. In our skills and um, skills development and training, we offer sewing training all the way from basics to fashion design, and we've built in a basic business component to help our budding entrepreneurs. And currently, we have five women in the community who are running their own business initiatives. We have a conservation agriculture training. We do computer skills training and employment preparation to assist unemployed people as they prepare for the workplace better. Lastly, we also offer social and health programs, doing HIV and pregnancy testing, counseling and support. We run elderly support programs for um, the elderly in the community that we call in Zulu Gogos, the, the mamas of the community. And we do family crisis care, which means dealing with social issues that people in disadvantaged communities face, like abuse, drugs, and coping with the death of a breadwinner, which changes the family dynamic a lot. Lastly, we also offer a parenting course called Healthy, Fam Healthy Homes and Families, which is all about empowering parents to understand that they have a personal role to play in their child's development. Recently, in December, I've been given the role of actually taking over and running Seed of Hope, which has been a huge adjustment for Pete and I, and quite a daunting task, but very exciting at the same time, because I know that we are a great team of support. And it's really blessing being married to Pete for me, because Pete and I get to be on God's team together, and that we get to release each other into the different ministry that he's called us to do. 
Um, at Seed of Hope, we've also got, we know that God has great plans for our future because we've just been able to buy the property that we've actually been um, operating on for the last 14 years from the local chief and his traditional council. And we've received the buy-in and support from the community that they want us there and they're, they're happy with what we're doing. Um, there are many stories that I can tell you tonight of the lives that have been changed through the work of Seed of Hope over the years, including my own life. But I just quickly wanted to mention one story of a boy called Samkelo. He's the guy in the middle of the picture putting the shoes on the little boy. So Samkelo actually started coming to our programs when he was a young boy, and he participated in our child and youth development programs and our leadership programs. And then he graduated school and went into the corporate world. But after a few years, he actually decided to come back and join our staff team. And he's someone who's so passionate about raising the next generation to be leaders who realize that they are actually chosen by God, that they are valuable to God, and that they have a critical role to play in his plan, not only for their lives, but for the transformation of the community that he actually placed them in. Samkelo is just one of our great examples of what a servant leader actually looks like. He is also one of the guys that Pete plays a critical role in mentoring and discipling over the years. And he's even been starting to help him with his professional development so that he can grow in the skills he needs to transition up in our organization. Many of the demographics that I've described a little bit about in Bekuwandle and the surrounding communities are currently attending or in the geographical reach of Oasis Church where Pete and I attend and where Pete works. I'm going to hand over to him now. Thank you. Um, so as you can see, I got very, very lucky when God gave me my wife. Um, I, I, it's just wow when I hear my wife speak. Um, so as my wife said, we're part of Oasis Church, and um, Oasis is a church uh, that seeks to be transcultural. And by this we mean a church that is multicultural, class-crossing, and non-racial. And this isn't an easy thing to achieve in any country, but it's even more challenging in a country in the light of South Africa's past. However, we are convinced that being a transcultural church does set the tone for South Africa's future. South Africa's past of apartheid, which I'm sure many of us know about, means that the country was and still is very divided as a nation. Imams and Toti is a, traditionally would be classed as a, as a white community where the white people would live. I'm, I was saying this morning, I'm always very nervous about sort of saying white and black here because I know in the UK everyone's uber PC and sort of I'm nervous about treading on toes, but saying white and black is very okay in South Africa. And Imams and Toti would have been a traditional white community. And this means that its infrastructure and its services were and still are vastly superior to Begawandas. And while a state of apartheid was abandoned some 26 years ago, the effects of segregation are still playing out today. Um, for example, across the country, if you go into your, a church, for example, a church will predominantly be either white or black, or it will be rich or poor. Uh, but what we're trying to do is bring all of that together. Um, but it's a challenge even in our own context. For example, um, many people in Imams and Toti will not go anywhere near Begawandla. There's a guy who teaches at a local primary school where I do some work, and I took him to the church land uh, before, and he'd never been there, but he'd lived in Toti for 13 years, and he'd never been up to the top of the road to kind of see over the hill. And the equivalent is almost like coming out of, out of the church and turning right, getting to the end of Perry Street and being like, gosh, where are we? You know, that's, that's, that's the kind of, that's the distance-wise we're talking about. And... Um, so you can see the mindsets of division and segregation that has been ingrained in many South Africans. This is the divide that we're trying to bridge. 
And as a church, though we currently meet in a school hall, we are in the process of building our own church home, which, as you can see on this map, is right on that boundary line between the two communities. So it's a very strategic place. And we're hoping that within the next 12 months, we'll have actually moved in. So that's a little bit of what Oasis looks like. What do I do in all of this? Um, Well, firstly, as I've said, I head up uh, the Young People's Ministry at Oasis, which basically means I oversee the work for anybody from age three to about 30. And uh, as well as running your sort of normal Sunday schools in morning and evening and youth groups for high school, and we have a junior primary youth group and a a senior primary youth group, uh, I also spend time in a local school uh, running a script union, and recently we've started a prayer meeting, um, which has really been looking at how do we pray in the context of friendship and relationship with God. Um, so not trying to give them formulas of this is what you must say, but actually let's get to know God. He wants to be our friend. And it's actually been really exciting and quite challenging to teach prayer without giving a formula. It's been quite interesting. As I've said, trying to be a transcultural church is challenging, and we do feel this particularly in the area of our young people. Firstly, there's the language barrier. As you look at the map, predominantly the people on the right-hand side of the red line, their first language will be English. And on the left-hand side, their first language will be Zulu. And so gathering young people together when you have a, a language barrier is a challenge. Secondly, the gap in equality of education. As Kira said, people on the left-hand side of this uh, line, their matric pass rate is 31%. And even that is a very, like even those that pass barely scrape through whereas people on the right-hand side have much better education, generally speaking. And on top of all that, you also have the difficulty of access to transport and to finances. And so all these things make transcultural youth work quite a challenge. But we are committed to doing so, and we always look to ensure that we're not busy running programs, but actually really looking to serve the young people in our diverse communities. One of the ways I do this is uh, through discipleship and mentoring, and I think this is on Gary Bott's heart as well about mentoring and discipling and encouraging other leaders to walk along, uh, walk a journey with our young people. And one of the main issues that we face in South Africa, or the young people in South Africa face, is fatherlessness. And statistics suggest that three out of four children um, will grow up in homes where dad is either not physically present or emotionally present. And restoration in this area isn't a quick fix and it takes years of investment from either a father figure or a role model that can help them figure out the big issues in life, answering the questions and the issues of the importance of staying in school, of how to budget, um, how to get a job, what to value and look for in a potential spouse. These are the type of conversations that me and Sam Curlow have every week, and it's these type of relationships that are critical in raising a generation that has previously been disadvantaged. And we're just going to close... in a minute, but before we do that, we'd love you to watch this short video of Oasis Church to get a taster of what Oasis is like, and you'll hopefully be able to understand why what we're doing is so relevant in South Africa. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm the lead elder here in Oasis Church. About 12 years ago, having just arrived here in Amamsamtoti, I I felt God speak to me about building a non-racial, multicultural, class-crossing church. And it really captured, 
for me, what God was asking us to do, it felt like it was something that wasn't happening, but was desperately necessary for our country. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. Over the years, we've seen incredible transformation. It's been a real joy to see uh, people join together, not separated anymore by the, the divisions that have been uh, historical in our country, to see true joy of being a new people and celebrating that fact. My name is Bongseni Robert Lamini. I'm a full-time staff at Oasis Church and I'm also one of the elders of the church. To be part of the uh, multicultural church, um, it just feels like this is just like um, heaven on earth and where people are just free to come and worship God in different languages and, and, and people just free to express um, their culture and their feeling. But when we come together, then we've got, we're coming now with the mind of just serving that Jesus as the King of Kings, bringing us together as His nation. We start seeing other church leaders and other people from outside Oasis Church who wanted to come and ask questions and, and, and want us to walk alongside with them in this journey of uh, preaching the gospel together. When the gospel is preached, a people who hadn't previously been related, hadn't been in relationship with each other, get the opportunity to be in relationship with one another. It's like heaven touching earth. Um, so I hope that's given you a small taster of what being a part of Oasis is like. It's a uh, as our lead elder Gareth said a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, it's incredibly uncomfortable at times being a part of Oasis. It's not comfortable being part of Oasis, but it's a, a glorious mess most of the time, and it's fun to be a part of. We just want to finish this by saying thank you so much for having, letting us sort of share tonight. Um, and we want to thank uh, just those of you that do pray for us or support us financially. We, we so, so appreciate it. And um, if you'd like to hear more about us or find out about maybe how you can support us, uh, either personally or support Seed of Hope, and then do come and grab us afterwards. We're going to be outside at, um, with a table, um, and we're going to be sort of showing you some of the products that Seed of Hope um, produces, and uh, if you'd like to buy some of them, then please do. But uh, thank you. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Kira. Um, so it'd be nice to spend a, a, a time of prayer now. So um, open it up for, for open prayer. I'll, I'll close it in, what, about five or ten minutes' time. So just think of some of the things that, that we've heard about, Seed of Hope, um, you know, that, that incredible mission to, to build those thriving communities, build on those pillars of healthy, strong families, sustainable livelihoods and servant leadership. You know, amazing to be able to work amongst those sort of things. So pray for those things. Um, you know, the fact there's so much unemployment, was it 75%? That's uh, just unbelievable, isn't it? So, so pray into that situation in the, in the country. And for Oasis Church and, and Pete's work there, you know, the idea of, you know, we've, we've all got our own mental images and pictures of South Africa based on, you know, depending on how old we are, news that we've either seen in, in history books or news that we've actually seen as, we, as it was happening. So, you know, how amazing to have a place where this idea of, of transcultural, non-racial, you know, all of those things and what that must mean, what a witness that must be in the area and, and, and surrounding that. So do pray for that. Um, you know, the, the language barrier, think praying for that. 
um, and obviously the youth ministry that, that Pete's involved with. Um, Pete, when does your visa expire? End of next year. So let's, let's pray for that as well. Um, we don't want a repeat of what happened last time around. <laughs> so, so let's pray into that. So there's a few things and, and anything else that might have grabbed you from the talk or anything else that you feel led to pray about. Thank you. And so, Lord, we do <coughs> uh, just pray for a, an extra special blessing and anointing on, on Pete and Kira. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to learn more about what they're doing. And we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to recall that to mind on an ongoing basis. That some of the things that we've learned, some of the things that, that hit us as individuals, different things for different people, we will remember to uphold them in prayer. Lord, we thank you that um, as we sang in that, in that song, Guardian, that you go before us and you're beside us. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll just give an assurance to both of them that that's your promise to them. Lord, they both have positions of responsibility in these two organisations. But Lord, let them know that you're always beside them, but also you're always going ahead of them, planning the way and preparing them and preparing the ground. Lord, we just pray for the very practical and logistical matter of Pete's visa. It's a, it's a while off yet, but even so, we pray now, Lord, that uh, as he perhaps starts to have to make some decisions on the type of visa, that, that you'll be with him, that you'll lead him and guide him, and that you'll give him people that can be good, wise advisors. And then when it comes to the time of, of renewing or applying for a visa, whether it's the same one or a different one, we ask, Lord, that you will indeed go before him and that you will prepare and make sure that that's not a, a problem as it has been in the past. So Lord, we just uh, commit them both to you and ask that you'll continue to bless them in their ministries. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hello? Is that my on? I'm on. Good. That's so encouraging. Thank you so much for that. It's really an encouragement to me. And listen, I've got to tell you straight away, you're so clever, I can't say any of those names. Honestly, all those place names and really, really hard. So, really good. We're going to have a reading tonight um, from Luke's Gospel and it's chapter 15. And it's taken me years to get this old. When you're old, you can be really grumpy. So I'm going to be a bit grumpy. I'm reading from the nearly infallible version, the NIV. And in the nearly infallible version, it's the parable of the lost son. But can you humour me and stick with the prodigal son? He wasn't really lost. A prodigal is a good English word. There's nothing wrong with using the proper word. If we make things too simple, we'll end up grunting and pointing at things. So he was a prodigal son. He wasn't lost. He knew his way back, didn't he? Okay, so we'll start reading from verse 11. This is the, the third of a series of parables that Jesus has 
uh, delivered. The, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and then the longest one, the parable of the lost son. And um, I think it might be familiar to many of us, although probably what I'm going to say might not be what we've sort of heard perhaps so much before. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs that the pods the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to see his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back inside, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been striving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has been squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My father, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And the topic tonight is, is celebration. And um, when Bernard asked me to speak, and he said, well, you, know, you can speak on what you like, but the theme is celebration. So I thought, ah, oh, this is a bit like a fish talking about the theory of flight. So I'm, you, see, you have to understand that uh, we're all different and celebration is not something I'm any good at. I'm, you know, in fact, I'm so bad at it. I, can't, I went to the tip yesterday, but I indulged myself, I went twice to the one at Barlands. And on the way back, there was this big sign which said, um, a festival of eating and drinking. And my initial thought was, oh, this is a course for people who are not very good at eating and drinking. You know, and, there was people, and I thought, I could go on that because I'm not very good at that either. 
And so, anyway, it's a long story, but um, I've recently had my DNA done because I've got a funny blood group and, it's, and it has to be given to people whole. So I thought, where does this come from? Because the blood people, you get a call and it goes, hello, Norman. It's like, hello, who's that? Oh, it's National Blood Transfusion. I said, oh, is everything all right? Yeah, yeah, you're all right. Yes, I'm fine, thank you. Oh, good, good. Uh, you will be available to give blood. I said, uh, yes, yes. I mean, keep yourself well. No, won't you? Won't you? To click. So, what's going on here? So, I actually had a little chat with them. I said, what's so special about this blood? And they said to me, well, it's not normally found in people that look like you. I said, <laughs> so, 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 I said, well, well, all right. What do they look like? I said, well, how can I put it? Who was saying about politically correct? I said, well, the people that have this blood come from sub-Saharan Africa. I said, do they? They said, yes. So, I thought, this is my chance. This is it. It's taken a long time, but I could be exotic. So I, so I, I, I sent off for this thing, do a DNA test. They sent me these sticks, and you put it in your mouth, and you put, put the sticks in and send them back. It comes from Houston, so you know it's good. So it goes back to Houston, and ten days later I get an email from somebody called Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou has got, got your DNA, and she's on to say, get a picture of this about 12-year-old girl with big glasses, white coat, and a pipette, and a test tube, and I'm, in a, I'm looking at it day and night. So, okay, great. So every couple of weeks, Cindy Lou's still on the case, you know, she's working day and night. I thought, poor, she get arrested. Anyway, six weeks go by and then you get an email saying, Norman, we know who you are, sort of thing. So you press this button, you go on it, and it comes up like a Google Earth, it swirls around. I thought, oh, well, guess, yes, yes, I guess I'm there somewhere. And it's the planet of Earth, swirling around, and it stops, and it goes, zoom, over England, UK, and it says, you are 68.1% British. So I thought, well, okay. You know, that's not too bad, is it? Ah, oh, but it still leaves me 32%. What's that? And he goes, you are 15.7% Belgium. So <laughs> I thought, is this, this is not... Then it goes, I thought, it still leaves 16.3 or something. And this is it. This is going to be the good bit. You know, this is going to be the exotic bit. Norway. Norway. Uh, I thought, so I'll look at Norway, Norway, uh, Amundsen, and the first person to hop backwards to the South Pole, the first person, to... oh no. So the point is, what I'm trying to say is not everybody's good at celebrating. I've just watched Usain Bolt on the television run his last race and then they've all gone off to celebrate and the, what they said was that Jamaicans know how to celebrate. So I'm not very good at celebrating, so please be kind to me because we're influenced by our nature which I'm lumbered with being half Norwegian, half Belgium. What chance is there? Got Alsatian's ears, called his legs, poodle's body. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so basically, I'm boring by nature. But I did think about. So I had to. So I had to think about celebration. No, most people wouldn't. And I thought well, it's very interesting because it's, it's like, how do we celebrate? Have you ever seen these things? Well, you know these girls that were that were captured, and they all for two years they've been missing and they've come back, which is really good, it's great. And they've all come back to the village now, and they're all doing this, you know, it's a little special dance, you know, and there's sort of blokes sitting about randomly in drums, and oh, come on, they all know what they're doing. It's all in, you know, it's musical movement, they're up to it. And so that's how they celebrate. If somebody scores a goal, it's quite interesting to see, years ago, people used to shake hands. You imagine that now. They scored a goal, good show. That's English. And, um, but now, they don't. They might do a somersault, they might rip up the turf, um, you know, with a knee slide. There's a lint, well, wrong one, the camera's over there. Do a bit of that, have a little chat with the corner flag, all the celebrations. My grandson plays for a team, he spent all last year 
practicing celebrating scoring goals. He did more time practicing celebrating goals than he did scoring goals. We had them all. We had this one as well. I said, if you keep doing that to the opposition, you're going to find yourself hobbling off after five minutes. I won't like that every time you score a goal. We all celebrate differently by nature. And also, we're, we're affected by our nurture, which can be our culture. You see, there are two kinds of celebration. I analysed it. I did analyse it. There's two kinds of celebrations. One of them, which I would call spontaneous celebration. I don't know why footballers get so excited when they score. It's a bit hard, really, because that's what the game's about. But they go so excited, oh, I scored a goal. I can't believe it. <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. So it's a sort of a spontaneous celebration. Passing a driving test, in my case, was a spontaneous celebration because I passed. Can't believe it. Passing an exam. Something like that. You hope to, but you don't know. Until it's happened, you don't know. So it's a kind of spontaneous celebration. And then the other sort of celebration is a kind of planned event. So, you know, we shouldn't be shocked when Christmas comes around. It's 25th December. It shouldn't be knocked off. Some people seem to be, but it's, it's Christmas. We celebrate New Year's Day. A birthday. If you still have them. Some of us don't bother anymore. Try to think, not think about it. A planned event. An anniversary, perhaps. That's a celebration. I have to keep looking at my notes because it's not natural for me, this celebration lark. <laughs> ah, but when I thought about it, the behaviour at one sort of celebration, a spontaneous celebration, may not be appropriate for a planned celebration. We might celebrate slightly more muted if it's a, an anniversary. And then it would depend if it's, a, if it's a 70th anniversary for something. It's probably going to be a lot of older people there, so you might be a little bit more muted. But there are two things that always occur when there's a celebration that strikes me. First of all, it's the suspension of the normal. So, if you like, uh, we withdraw from what we would do normally and do something totally different, which we call a celebration. And after the celebration, we resume what we did before. You always get that with a celebration. I'll tell you an example for that from Scripture. Is We have six days in which to work, and God said on the seventh day we should rest. And a kind of celebration. It's a celebration of his creation. We sit back, God has said, don't work. That's great, isn't it? Having a boss like that, don't work. Stay at home and celebrate. It is a celebration because we've withdrawn from the normal and we are celebrating, theoretically, what God has done. The other thing that's always consistent and always there is it's focused. That's really important that we celebrate a birthday, we celebrate a wedding anniversary, we celebrate passing a driving test or something, it's focused, it has a point and it's a suspension of the normal just for that celebration. That's what always happens. Now Christmas parties are kind of uh, difficult. Christmas office parties can be very difficult. I've been to some of those and people that um, decided to suspend normality I think one year they threw a television out of a window, which was not really helpful. <laughs> um, they thought that would be great fun. It could have killed someone. But that was part, apparently, of the celebration. So that was perhaps a spontaneous event in a planned situation. Not appropriate. I think Christmas can sometimes be used by people, if you like, to celebrate something they don't really involve themselves in much, but at Christmas it's a good opportunity. You often hear people say, oh, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, equals suspend the normal, do something 
and I'll use Christmas as an excuse as the focus. Am I making any sense? Sort of. In the story of the prodigal son, the word celebration gets used four, four times. It's really important. The older brother in the story of the parable kind of represents the Jewish leaders. They're all grumpy. The younger son, when he went, in that, in that time, would have got a third of, of the... Um, given that were two boys, he would have got a third of the, uh, the estate. And he's gone off, and he decided he's going to celebrate. But he's going to celebrate himself. So you're not celebrating... So he suspended the normal, which would have been working with his father and his brother on the farm day in, day out. Obviously there would be days when you wouldn't work and there'd be celebration within that, but that would be the normal routine. He's decided he's not going to do that. He's going to get the money and he's not going to set his own business up. He's going to just spend it all, basically, and just spend it on himself. One long riot of celebration. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel a little bit of sympathy for the older brother. Can I say that? (laughs) I do. Because if I was in that situation, I could almost write the script myself and say, hang on a minute, this geezer, you're having a laugh, aren't you? You know, you're not serious, he took the money, it's up to him, he's made his bed, he can lie on it. It does feel a bit like that. And that's why I think this... This parable is wrongly named. It's called the parable of the lost son, but you forgive me for that, it's the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know what it really is? It's the parable of the prodigal father. Because you know what prodigal means? It means reckless and lavish. And that's what the father is. He's reckless and lavish in his love and his grace. And that's what our father is. He's reckless and lavish on people like me. Loving me. I'm a prodigal son. It's true. Thank you. (laughs) It's true. God is reckless in his love. Utterly reckless. We don't deserve it. This young lad didn't deserve it. He's come back because he's skint. He's not come back. He is. He's got nothing. He's come back skint. He's saying, give us a job. Come on, give us a job. I'm starving. Give us a job. Not, I haven't come out. I love you. I miss you. None of that. I'm skint. I don't deserve to be your son. And rightly so, he doesn't. But the father, the prodigal father, is reckless. He goes, no, you were dead. No, you're not now. Get get the fatty calf. And if I was a calf, I'd be saying, I told you, stop eating all that stuff. (laughs) It's bad for you. It's better to be thin. You live longer if you're thin. Get the fatty calf. Well, the other brother said, you didn't even give me a goat. Obviously, it's a lot lower down a pecking order, little goat. I have sympathy for him. But I thank, I thank you, Lord, that you're reckless in, in your love. You're lavish in your love for us. Because I wouldn't be. I couldn't be. Only God can be like that. The prodigal father. Scripture says, Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, when you become a Christian, it's a suspension of the normal. It ain't normal to be a Christian. I say that. It's not normal. Not normal, not really. So we suspend normality when we become a Christian. All the rules change. And we do the other thing. We focus on Christ. And our lives, therefore, are a celebration of God's love. I've suspended normality. Do you know what? The elephant in the room of this world is, wherever you go around the world, wherever you talk to, it's always the same elephant. Nobody, nobody actually, they have to walk around it sometimes. 
We won't talk, we'll talk about the, is the door handle quite, quite shiny enough? Just moving around this elephant. The elephant in the room is death, right? That's the elephant in the room. Wherever you go, because we're all going to die, in 100 years' time, there won't be any of us here. No, there won't. And the world promises eternal death. That's the promise of the world. But don't worry, folks, we won't talk about it. We'll all pretend you're going to live forever. That's the deal. The world offers eternal death. My God offers eternal life in Jesus. The prodigal God who was reckless and lavish to us. Unbelievable. Don't deserve it. Doesn't make sense. You... This final celebration isn't so much about the son coming back, the one who had no money with holes in his backside, pockets and all the rest of it. He's come. It's, do you know what the celebration's about? It's celebrating the love of the father, really, they're having a party. The, old, the older boy goes, oh, I can't stand it, all this merriment. People, oh, I can't want to talk to this lot. They're all happy, then, you know, all this merriment. I'm preaching to myself here because I did say I find it hard to celebrate. I've got to go to a barbecue next week. I hate barbecues. <laughs> people, I do. I can't stand them. People who never cook, always blokes, they stand there, they incinerate all the food, they put a funny hat on their head. I put this hat on, it means I can cook. Oh, get that down. It's utterly cinders. Oh, this one, this one here left for you, Norman. Oh, stone me. Oh, so I pray for rain. It's a, it's a bit of secret weapon. You get a lot of that over here. Get a bit of rain. I know I'm public. I know you all love them, and I'm public enemy number one. Well, oh, it's so bad. Anyway. Well, don't worry. But do you know the good news? All around the world, all around the world, People are being reached for Jesus. There's prodigals all around the world. I, don't, I can't, genuinely can't say that man's name that we, that we heard about, the lad who went off to the, into the corporate world and who's come back. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. It's so exciting. But that's happening all around the world and we're not seeing it. And we live in a little bubble, don't we? Oh, we don't see much of that. But all around the world, people are coming to know Jesus. They really are. And they're, they're, they're being changed and they're celebrating Jesus so they're not normal anymore, which is great. Which Normal means eternal death. I don't really need that. I'm very glad to not, not be doing that one. And they're focusing themselves on Jesus and on the love of Jesus. And their lives are being changed. But Jesus is building his church all around the world. This country has been used to send people out all over the globe 100 years ago, 200 years ago. People are coming to us now they're coming to us because we're so desperately in need of it. But thank God that they're coming to us. I thank God for the churches that are in this country from, from other parts of the world that have come and set up their own churches. Thank God for them. They're showing us the way. Praise you, Lord. The time is right now to celebrate. The thing is, when we were praying here on Tuesday, I said, I don't know what I said in the prayer, but I had this picture of a load of volcanoes. Ian, Ian was there. And I thought, do you know what? Christians are like volcanoes. You look at them, you think, is it extinct? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, it's a whiff of smoke. No, it's a cloud. You know what I mean? There's been a time in our lives when the Holy Spirit has really met us and we're absolutely on fire. (laughs) You know, we know that's a volcano. That's a volcano. And then, and then after a while, it goes quiet and you think, oh, it hasn't rumbled for ages. What's going on? Has it just become a sort of mountain or not a volcano anymore? Our prayer should be that we can 
be a little bit more like a volcano. People know that we're volcanoes. There's something going on. There's a bit of fire there. We're not extinct. At least some smoke coming out the top. So that's about celebration. As, as Christians, we really ought to be celebrating. I know life is not a big non-stop laugh 24-7. I know that. And it's very, very hard sometimes. But you know, we have Jesus. There's nowhere, again, when Tom was with us today, he was talking the, 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 the part from the New Testament, I can't remember where it is, where Paul says, you know, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked. All these terrible things, loads of terrible things have happened to me. But there's nowhere that I can go that... The Father will not allow me to have Jesus. The love of Jesus will with me, no matter how deep or high. And that is true, utterly true. And I'm just extolling that we can learn to celebrate. I've, do you know, I can't even cross the road at an angle. Pauline will tell you, I'm walking down the road and she's with me, she's trying to let me go across diagonally and I don't like it. Don't feel beads of sweat come out. I don't want to, I have to turn and do this. <laughs> See, <laughs> I feel better though. I like a right angle. I don't like diagonals. This is the problem. This is, so for people like me, it's really hard to celebrate. I don't think I'm alone. I can see something about it, I'm sure. I don't think I'm alone. Some of us, are just, it just comes natural. Others find it more difficult. But the truth is, the real celebration comes from God's Holy Spirit in us. We have to let him, allow him a bit of room. Norman, cross diagonally. Don't you, don't you worry about it. Just, you just cross, it'll be safe. It'll be looking. I'll get a bad name. They see me crossing the road diagonally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as Christians we live our lives as celebration. We thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. And we thank you, Lord, that none of us deserved it. Father, we're, we're just like the prodigal son. We've just been reckless in celebrating ourselves and not celebrating you. But thank you, Lord, that you are truly the prodigal father, one that loves recklessly and loves lavishly. No matter what we've done, where we've been, you will put a ring on our finger, sandals on our feet and the best robe on our backs like it never happened. And you will rejoice because of the return. Father, may that be true for us. Lord, help us to be able to celebrate more openly. Open our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask that. And the